Welcome to the Plenteous Redemption Podcast, where the cross and the culture are on a collision course for discussion. For the preaching of the cross is to them that perish foolishness. But unto us which are saved it is the power of God. For it is written, I will destroy the wisdom of the wise and will bring to nothing the understanding of the prudent. Where is the wise? Where is the scribe? Where is the disputer of this world? Hath not God made foolish the wisdom of this world? For after that in the wisdom of God, the world by wisdom knew not God. It pleased God by the foolishness of preaching to save them that believe. For the Jews require signs, the Greeks seek after wisdom, but we preach Christ crucified. Under the Jews a stumbling block, under the Greeks foolishness, but under them which are called both Jews and Greeks, Christ, the power of God and the wisdom of God. Now, here's your host, Thomas Irvin. All right, we'll be in Romans chapter 1. Don't forget this evening, our afternoon service will be um, an opportunity to discuss the future of the church, Um, at least our goals in 2024. That'll be our our purpose. And and then over time, we'll lay out some some five-year goals, some 10-year goals. And if I'm still alive after that, um, 15 and 20-year goals and all that good stuff. So... Uh, we'll see. My wife says we have to die at the same time. So I don't know if the Lord's going to coordinate that or if she expects us to coordinate. <laughs> uh, so. <laughs> so be praying about that. Um, we have lots to cover and um, we'll cover it with whoever's here and, and move on. So um, Romans 1 and we've made it down, all the way down to verse 5. Man, we are, we are moving out. That's thir- 13 lessons so far in the book of Romans. And um, we've made it to verse 5. So let's read verses 1 through 7 together. And then we will, we're going to dive into verse 5 this morning. Romans 1, verses 1 through 7. Paul, a servant of Jesus Christ, called to be an apostle separated unto the gospel of God, which he had promised afore by his prophets in the Holy Scriptures, concerning his Son, Jesus Christ our Lord, which was made of the seed of David according to the flesh, and declared to be the Son of God with power according to the Spirit of holiness by the resurrection from the dead, by whom we have received grace and apostleship for obedience to the faith among all nations for his name. That's our our verse today. Verse 6, among whom are you also the called of Jesus Christ to all that be in Rome, beloved of God, called to be saints, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Let's pray. Father, we love you. Thank you for loving us. Uh, We sure thank you for this church and uh, pray God that you'd help us to uh, build it and, and that it'd be used in a a way that would honor and glorify you, Lord, that would please you. And uh, we pray that you would help to bring people here who are serious, who love the Word of God, who who want to be faithfully involved in the work of uh, spreading the Word of God, teaching the Word of God, preaching the Word of God, 
and getting the gospel to a lost and dying world. And I pray you'd help us today as we learn from your word. Help it to correct us, to teach us, to build us, to strengthen us. And Lord, uh, we pray that you would use it to make us the people that you would have us to be. And we'll sure thank you for it. In Christ's name I pray. Amen. Amen. All right. Now, the Apostle Paul is teaching us about the person who is the subject of the gospel of God. And we've spent a lot of time on that. Who is Jesus Christ? Uh, what, what are... what? what what are the meanings behind these titles and, and names that are given to Jesus Christ? Uh, he's called the Lord. He's the Lord Jesus Christ. He's the Son of God. He's of the seed of David. Uh, all, all of this has great significance, and we, we spent a lot of time uh, talking about that. that and, and so that the person who is the subject of the gospel is the Son of God. He is Jesus Christ. That, that's, that's who we need to be preaching to the lost world. Now, we have this big book. It's for us. We don't, we don't go, you know, there are, you know, street preaching has a bad name across the world and in America because there are groups of Christians who will go out and stand across from a bar and a woman's walking by dressed like a harlot. You know she's dressed like a harlot. She doesn't know any better. But instead of just giving her the gospel, they tell her she's dressed like a harlot. Now, when she hears that, what she thinks is, let me come and talk to these nice gentlemen about Jesus. Uh-huh. <laughs> no, it, it doesn't. You, you can't deal with a lost person about specific sin. What they need to know is that they are a sinner. Right? They need to be convicted of their sin. There's no doubt about that. But the idea is not, is not to try and embarrass them as they walk by with their sin on display. They're not going to get it. It's not going to help them. What they need to know is that you're, you're, you're on your way to hell right now. You're going to go in that bar tonight. You're going to go in that club, whatever it is, and, and you're going to drink something that you shouldn't be drinking, and then you're going to get in a car with a bunch of people who drink the same thing and drive home. You might not make it. And if you lose your life tonight, what's going to happen to your soul? All right. I wish you were not dressed that way. I wish you were not going into a nightclub or a bar. I wish you were not filling your, your gut full of poison. But you got bigger issues at hand. You need Jesus Christ. You need the gospel. You need to have your sins forgiven. Then after we have your sins forgiven, we can work on these other things. Right? That, that's when we talk about all those things. Right? Beforehand, it does no good to sit and talk to a drunkard about how he should stop drinking. Well, he doesn't care. <laughs> he knows he should stop drinking. In fact, they often hate the fact, drug addicts hate their addiction. Alcoholics often hate that they're addicted to alcohol. People who use pornography are often, they can't stand that they can't get away from it. I mean, they could get away from it, but they won't get away from it. And so this vice has them as much as they have it. But they're not going to change it just because you go and tell them, well, Jesus said you shouldn't drink. Well, I don't know Jesus and I don't care. <laughs> Right? That, that's not how we deal with people. They need the son. You need to tell them who Jesus is. It's not enough for him to know that Jesus condemns his drinking. What he needs to know is that your sin is going to drag you to hell. But Jesus Christ paid for that sin. Christ died for the very sin that belongs to you. That's going to take you to hell. And if you will repent and trust in Jesus Christ, he will forgive you. He will fill you with the Holy Spirit. He'll make you a new creature. And then suddenly, all these things that didn't bother them before, then they will begin to bother them. 
Why do I dress this way? How come everybody claims to be a Christian that lives a good Christian life dresses a different way? Why do I go to these places when people who claim to be Christians don't go to these places? All of a sudden, these things, they'll start recognizing these things. And what they'll do is they'll come to church and say, have you seen how terrible the world is? It's been that way the whole time. You just had the lights shut off. Now that you trusted in Jesus Christ, the lights are on. And you're looking around. And you're saying, oh, this is not good. <laughs> like, well, you were participating in it until suddenly the Lord turned the lights on for you and, and helped bring you out of that darkness. They need the gospel. The gospel is about Jesus Christ, but not just Jesus. People say, oh, well, and, you know, how are you going to go to heaven? Well, I believe in God. Well, the devil believes in God. He's not going to heaven. It's specific. It's the gospel. How that Christ died for your sins and was buried and rose again the third day. That's what lost people need. They don't need you complaining to them and bickering with them about their sin. They need you to help them to understand they are a sinner. That's why they sin. But Christ paid for those sins. He's the solution. And if you will come to Jesus Christ, he'll help get you out of this. That's the only way. Right? And so Paul is preaching to, to the people at Rome. He's writing to them. He's telling them, my, my goal is to lay a foundation here about the gospel of God, which is concerning his son, Jesus Christ, who was born of the seed of David, who, who rose from the dead. And, and that resurrection declares with power that he is the son of God. That's what we're talking about. He wants to make that very, 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 very clear. Then as we enter verse 5, we learn that this person, the son of God, the king of the Jews, the Messiah is the very person who made, this is important, this is, this is a, an idea that I, I, I hope I can again express to you properly, he made the grace of God available to us. Now, grace is often taken advantage of, or, or, or it's, it's so hard to explain this and do it any justice. It's hard to take advantage of grace when the very nature of grace is, is that you are given something that you don't deserve. <laughs> and so, so God is gracious. God is doing his, his best to give you time and space and, and he's long suffering and he's patient and he's trying to let you learn this book and learn how to live godly in Christ Jesus, which takes time to learn and, and, and to apply to our lives. But the reason that grace is available is because someone made it available. If, God, if, if you're just gracious with people, and we've talked about that man in court who, who's a murderer, and he just says, well, I'm sorry, I forgive, just forgive me. And the judge says, well, he said he's sorry, let's forgive him. But everybody knows that's not justice. Everybody knows that's a misapplication of justice. You can be as sorry as you want. In fact, I'm glad you're sorry and showing a little bit of remorse, but you're still going to prison. You're not walking out of here today. Sorry. Uh, not, in, in fact, if it was up to me, you would be taken outside and executed. If all the, all the information was there and all the, all the, it was clear that you were the one that did it, then you'd be taken outside and, go, and, and, and straight into the electric chair, whatever it is you want to use to help dismiss you from this life into the next. But instead, we create massive prisons and we fill it full of murderers and drug addicts and, and uh, people who have no interest in living in, in a productive way in society, and, and we just fill it full of those people, and, and it just costs more and more, and, and then the society around us gets worse and worse. Uh, so that, that's not our goal. Our goal is to, is to help recognize, or my, my aim today is to help you recognize that this wonderful thing that we have, that's been made available to us in the grace of God is available because somebody suffered on the other end of it. 
It's not a misapplication of justice. God is not just saying, well, let me just be gracious to you because I'm just a big teddy bear. I'm just so loving and forgiving. No, that grace is available because someone who is innocent suffered in your place. So when you thank God for his grace, understand that it's not just something he just freely throws around for no reason. It, it's, it, it exists in proportion to the death of Jesus Christ. All right, so, so it's not something you want to just take advantage of or take lightly. You want to make sure you better get it together. You want to make sure that as you take advantage of the grace of God, that, that you do it with that knowledge in mind, that understanding in mind. Now, look, look, look at the verse again. By whom, all right, now when it says by whom, that's the person we've been talking about. Son of God, seed of David, Jesus Christ, Lord, Messiah, Christ. That, that's all Jesus. And, and that's the whole package. By whom... We have received grace and apostleship. Now you see the comma. Now, what is this grace for? Why have we received it? Why, why are we given this space of time? Why are we given this long suffering? Why is God sitting in heaven and let us act like fools until we, until we finally begin to learn a little bit how to act? Why didn't he just... just Put it all to an end and get it over with. We've talked in here before about how people say, you know, atheists like to come to me, come to us and say, you know, why doesn't God get rid of evil? Well, he did that once in Genesis 6. It was me and you. He brought a flood. He said the imagination of man's heart is only evil continually. He brought a worldwide flood and killed everybody. All the evil's gone now. All right, so be careful what you ask for. All right, what God is doing, what God is trying to do is give you some time. And give you some space. And you're going to make some dumb mistakes. And you're going to make some dumb decisions. And you're going to make some intentional mistakes. And some intentional decisions that are against God. But you want to get it right. You want to fix it. You don't want to live there and stay there. You might stumble along a little bit. But because of the grace of God. And because of the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. You have this time to figure it out. Now what that should do is give you some confidence that you are you are you belong to God you are secure in God and that because of that you have this liberty to learn to live for God All right now could you imagine if you were one of these groups that thinks you can lose your salvation if you really thought that it you if you were honest you would know it was gone a long time ago you'd never be able to get anything right the moment you got saved Five minutes later, you thought something improperly, so you lost your salvation. It's over. How do you get it back? There's no, I haven't heard any provision for that. And the people who say that, who, people who believe that you can lose your salvation, they always say, I believe that you can lose your salvation. They never say, well, I think I can lose my salvation. It's always that, you know, I'm just looking out for you. It's not me. <laughs> I, I, I have reached such a state of perfection that I can't lose my salvation, but you can lose yours. And, and that's a foolish idea. This grace exists so that you can confidently step out and learn how to live for God. And you're going to make mistakes. That's okay. Don't stay there. And, 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 and there's a difference between a mistake and fornication. Fornication, adultery is not a mistake. All right, that's a, that's a deliberate, planned out. You didn't trip and fall naked in a bed with a person you shouldn't be there with. All right, that's not a mistake. All right, 
A mistake is you, you, made, a, you made a dumb decision, you made a bad choice, you, 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 but, but you're, you're continually correcting the direction and keeping it going in the direction of, of godly in Christ Jesus. All right, that, that's a mistake. I, I, I decided to rob a bank. That's not a mistake. I killed somebody. You, you're not going to come to me and tell me you murdered somebody and it was a mistake. <laughs> One of my favorite writers is a, is a psychiatrist. He was a psychiatrist in a prison slum in England. And it, as a psychiatrist, he does both the medical side of things and the psychological side of things. So when a new prisoner would come in who kills somebody with a knife, it's his job to check them medically, make sure they're okay, and then to do a psych evaluation to find out, why'd you do this? And he wrote, he wrote this long essay about this mentality that they have, they would come in and he would say, so what happened? And, and inevitably, they would say, the knife just went in. It just, I mean, I had no control over it. It was, it was in my hand. It jumped in my hand and took control of me and went in that person. Or if they shot somebody, he would say, why'd you shoot them? The gun just went off. Just went off. You know, there's 300 million guns in America. They don't just go off. If they did, we'd have a very serious problem right now. All right? They're actually really good at not just going off. It'd be really hard to find a gun that just goes off. You have to pull the trigger. But the mentality is, I mean, I had no control over it. Well, you shot him. Well, I mean, I, the gun shot him. It was in your hand. Well, I mean, but that's the idea. It, it wasn't me. If, if that's how you approach life, you're in trouble. And you're, you can't be helped, right? When you make a mistake, understand God is gracious. He wants you to come to him, admit it to him, let him cleanse you, get back on track, and keep going. Yeah. Right? But when that mistake turns into a year, two years, five years, ten years, it's like, when are you going to own up to what you've been doing and the direction you've been going and how you've been living your life and stop blaming a mistake, Right? It's a mistake if it's short-term. It's a mistake. Maybe it takes you even a little bit longer to figure it out. Sometimes it does. All right? That's okay. But there should be, in your life, your life should demonstrate a continual move in the direction of trying to live godly in Christ Jesus. If, you're just, if you just got off the road and you're parked over here, don't, don't come talking about how I just made this one mistake. Ten years ago and you're still sitting there? That's not a mistake. That's, that's your life at this point, and, and, and you don't want to do things that way. And so this grace, this grace, we, it's hard to understate that, you know, just by, by the grace of God, people just throw it around. No, that, that exists because Christ suffered. Let, let's look at it. Look at Hebrews chapter 2. Let me demonstrate this to you, and then we'll see what it's for. As the second half is just as incredible. When, and when you put it all together, Hebrews 2, and we'll read verses 5 through 10. For unto the angels hath he not uh, put in subjection the world to come, whereof we speak. But one in a certain place testify, testified, saying, What is man that thou art mindful of him, or the son of man that thou visitest him? And that's, that's a good question. Why do you care about you? The, the very the very death Christ died is another example of the sin that men commit against God. They, they killed him because they're murderers. 
and, and he came and he died for them. Why? Why do you care about these people who, who don't care about you and you extend your love, your grace, your mercy to such an extent to people who could care less about you? Now, that, that is a good question, but then you should, we don't know the answer to it. Why, why other than God is love and God is merciful and gracious, all right, so, but, but what, what you should say to that is, praise God, <laughs> Because there is no logical reason in our mind as to why you wouldn't do that for somebody who treated you that way. You wouldn't go that far for somebody who treats you the way that we treat God. You'd you'd be like, get out of here. (laughs) I care less about you. You go do what you want. Stay out of here. That's not how God does things. Verse 7. Thou madest him a little lower than the angels. Thou crownest him with glory and honor, and didst set him over the works of thy hands. Thou hast put all things in subjection under his feet, for in that he put all things in subjection under him. He left nothing that is not put under him. But now we see not yet all things put under him, but we see Jesus. Now listen to this. Who was made a little lower than the angels for the suffering of death, crowned with glory and honor, that he, by the grace of God, should taste death for every man. Now, when I think about grace, I don't connect it to me being nailed to a cross. This says that by the grace of God, Christ suffered. By the grace of God, Christ tasted death for every man. And so this this connection, the, the suffering and death of Christ makes grace available. God can say, because of my son, because of what he did on the cross, I can give you time. I can give you space. I can let you figure it out. Now, in Genesis 18, when God said, I'm going to go see what's going on in Sodom and Gomorrah, when he went and saw it, what did he do next? He burned the place to the ground. Now, that, that's what happens if there's no grace. When God has to come and look into your life and say, oh, that's what you've been doing? (laughs) That's how you've been living? Burn the thing down. Instead, he says, I'm just going to step back. I'm going to stay out of the way. I'm going to give them time. I'm I'm not going to go look into it right now. I'm going to hope that they trust in my son. And then when they trust in my son and I finally go and look at them, all I'll see is they're washing the blood of Jesus Christ. All that is available because Jesus Christ suffered and died on the cross. That is amazing. Look at Romans 5, Romans chapter 5, and we'll see uh, another example of it. Not quite as clear, but, but it's there. Romans 5, and we'll read verses 1 through 8. This is um, one of the passages I was reading when I, tr- I, I trusted in Jesus Christ sitting alone in Saudi Arabia. <laughs> Watching uh, Adrian Rogers on YouTube, <laughs> he had a sermon called The Simplicity of Salvation. So between this passage and Adrian Rogers, I ended up trusting in Jesus Christ um, in Saudi Arabia. And then I couldn't wait to go to church. Guess what's not available in Saudi Arabia? <laughs> All right, verse 1, therefore being justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Do right, you see that? You're justified by faith in Jesus Christ. Because of Jesus Christ and your faith in Jesus Christ, peace is made between you and God. Before that, there is no peace. There is only grace. 
God, God is not saying, I'm okay with you. God is saying, I'm just going to step back and let you, uh, one of my people are going to come preach the gospel to you. Somebody's going to give you a tract. You're going to watch YouTube and find Adrian Rogers. Something's going to happen that's going to cause you to hear the gospel, and then you get to make a decision. And I'm just going to stay back and let you do that. Otherwise, there is no peace between you and God until, until you come to Jesus Christ. It has to come through Jesus Christ. Now, but look what this does. Verse 2, <clears throat> excuse me. By whom also we have access by faith into this grace wherein we stand and rejoice in hope of the glory of God. Do you see that connection? It's through Jesus Christ. Right now, God, God gives grace to the lost man because that lost man needs time to find Jesus Christ. He needs space to, to, to hear the gospel, to come to the Lord. Then he has to give grace to the saved person because we came to Jesus Christ and we became a newborn babe in Christ. And just like my son can't act right halfway through church this morning, you can't act right as a newborn babe in Christ. You got to learn. You have to grow. You have to be built up. All these, somebody's got to teach you the Bible. And the problem we have today, again, I've been hammering American Christianity all morning, is that nobody teaches the Bible. Nobody learns the Bible. So they, they hear a bunch of catchphrases. It's very half-hearted. There's no conviction about it all. And so you have a bunch of people who maybe made professions of faith in Jesus Christ and they never learned anything else about the Bible. Well, they just remain babies. And then something important comes up in church and you've got a bunch of spiritual babies who have to deal with it. How do you think that goes? Well, they get angry and they split and the first Baptist church becomes the second Baptist church. And, you know, then you have two churches across the street, each other in the same town who used to meet in the same building because they're a bunch of babies and can't handle difficult situations the same way that my children can't handle complex problems in life because they're babies. It, it, it shouldn't be that way. Uh, and so through Jesus Christ, we stand in this grace, verse three. Now, this is the progression of of chapter 5. And, and what I want you to notice as we read down, uh, we're going to read down to verse 8, but it, it continues even after verse 8. Verses 1 and 2, you've trusted in Jesus Christ, your sins have been forgiven, you stand in this grace, you have peace with God, then beginning in verse 3 all the way down, and not only so, and not only so, and much more than, and also. And it just keeps adding to all the wonderful things God gives us because we trusted in Jesus Christ. All right, now watch that progression as we go. Verse 3, And not only so, but we glory in tribulation also, knowing that tribulation worketh patience, and patience experience, and experience hope, and hope maketh not ashamed, because the love of God is shed abroad in our hearts by the Holy Ghost, which is given unto us. For when we were yet without strength, in due time Christ died for the ungodly. Right, now there's a difference between a sinner and being ungodly. The ungodly, these are people who have deliberately set themselves against God. Now, most people are sinners. They just, they sin against God. They, they, some of them know it. Some don't realize it. Some, some have so seared their conscience that they don't realize it. But they're not anti-God. Then there are those people who are deliberately against God. They hate God. They hate everything about God. Jesus Christ died for them also. The ungodly. He shed his blood for them also. Verse 7, For scarcely for a righteous man will one die, peradventure for a good man some would even dare to die. But God commendeth his love toward us in that while we were yet 
sinners. Christ died for us. Uh, and then, and then if you read on, it continues, verse 9, much more than. Verse 10, for if when we were enemies, we were reconciled. Verse 11, and not only so, but we also joy in God. Verse 12, wherefore, then he, then he breaks off to a new discussion. Ba- based on these truths, now he's going to break off into a new discussion about the first Adam and the last Adam. So this grace that we love so much, that we boast about so much, come back to Romans 1. It's available because someone suffered. And so it is not to be taken lightly. It's not to, we, we don't just, just throw out there, oh, the grace of God. Well, praise the Lord for the grace of God. And it's good that you recognize the grace of God in your life. But understand, it's there. It's available to you because Christ suffered, because Jesus died. Now, that's, that's why, that's how it's available to you. Now, what's it for? What's the purpose of it? Now, we already talked about how it, 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 it allows God to step back and give us time to, to, you know, search around in the darkness and find the light and hopefully come to Jesus Christ. But then after you trust in Jesus Christ, it also gives you time to learn and, and to grow in the faith and to be built up and, and get your life on track. It's, you imagine, you know, a prostitute who gets saved, genuinely saved. She's probably got a few things in life to work out. All right, so her life from, from salvation today to tomorrow, uh, it might not quite look the way you would hope it would look. It's going to take some time. If, if, a, if a meth addict in this town get trust in Jesus Christ, they so destroy their lives and, and get so involved in horrendous habits, it's going to take some time to break out of a lot of that bondage. Now, they've been set free. They've been made able to do it, but it's going to take time. Uh, even the good man who pays his bills and loves his wife, who's just a sinner, who trusts in Jesus Christ, he still has a lot of things to change and, and learn and, and, and to grow in. He just became a baby. And so we got to give people time and space just the same way God gives people time and space. And, and there are things that I have expectations of your life, all right? But you're not required to meet my expectations. You're required to live in accord with the word of God. And so where I have to be careful with my expectations, if somebody comes in here and, and, and they're not doing things the way I want them to do things, well, do they know how I want them to do things? Do they know what my expectations are? If they do know, do they agree with it? Do they disagree with it? Do they have a reason? Do they not have a reason? There, there's so many elements to it. What's best is for me to just teach the Bible, not my expectations, and allow the Word of God to build these people up. And over time, people will learn through the Holy Spirit and the Word of God to live the Christian life. And that's it. Right Now, if I come in here and I start demanding my standards be accepted and my ideas be accepted, that's not going to work. That's not building the church of God. That's building the church of Thomas. And you don't want to be in that, Tom. You don't want to be in that church. That, that, that's not a good church to be in. Now, why is this given? Look, look back at verse 5. By whom we have received grace and apostleship for. Isn't that wonderful? Like God, God just, he's literally telling you the word for in this case means because of. It means for this. This is the reason. I'm, I'm, now I'm going to give you the reason why you have this grace for obedience to the faith among all nations for his name. Now that fits perfectly with what we've said so far. God wants you to live a life of obedience. And in order to do that, he's given you grace 
which is the space, the time, the, the patience, the long-suffering for you to learn how to live a life of obedience in faith. And then all the nations get to see that. And like we talked about this morning from Matthew 5, then they begin to wonder, well, why are you so different? What's going on in your life? How did you get there? What is that? I need to know. I want to know. And you tell them it's Jesus. And they say, never mind. <laughs> I'll keep doing what I'm doing. Now, not everybody. Some people will say, well, can you tell me more about it? What's going on? How, how, how is it you can glory through tribulation? Where, where, why are you so gracious and so merciful? Why are you so meek? Where did you learn these things? I learned it from the word of God. I, I have a relationship with Jesus Christ. And because of that, he has taught me to try and live this way. And, and, and it, it will make a massive difference in people's lives. Now, here's the problem that we have. I, I suppose it's everywhere. Uh, it was a huge problem in Uganda. It's definitely a problem in America. And I don't know the solution to it. Uh, I wish it didn't exist. I wish I had an answer. I hope God shows me how to deal with it and how to handle it. In Uganda, we probably had sometimes between three and 500 professions of faith. What was it? Was it yearly or monthly? Yearly? We'll just say yearly because monthly is, is too much for me to fathom. Uh, and so we just, we'll just put it this way. There was a huge number of professions of faith on a regular basis. Less than 1% of those people ever came to church and never followed through. Where are they? Now, it's exciting. You got all these people claiming to trust in Jesus Christ, and they seem excited, and they can't wait to do discipleship, and they can't wait to come to your church, and they can't wait to get involved. Then you call them the next day, and they shut their phone off. <laughs> you try to follow up with them again, and they're like, oh, I'm, I'm, I'm busy clipping my fingernails. It's like, well, you were so excited yesterday. What happened? Right? And, and, and so the Bible the, the biblical expectation is that there should be some level of change in the person's life and interest in spiritual things after they make a profession of faith in Jesus Christ. If there's not, you should be very concerned. Now, it doesn't mean they didn't get saved, but you should be very concerned about whether they did or not. How, how is it you can tell me you understand that this man shed his own blood for you to help you escape hell, and you can't come to church? You can't do the most basic, fundamental thing that, that he expects of you? Like, it's like the smallest thing. And we're not asking for your money. We're not asking you to give your right arm. We're not, oh, just, like, he just wants you to come to church and sit down and listen to his word. That, that's it. Well, I'm, I'm busy. Well, he wasn't too busy to die for you. He wasn't too busy to shed his blood for you. All right, so either you didn't understand and you made a false profession of faith or you've got some serious emotional problems that, that somebody could do that for you and it doesn't move you in the slightest. You scare me. that You could be that numb, that cold, that indifferent to, to the death of God's son on your behalf. All right, so one of the two is true, and, and I, I so, so let me show you this, this, old, this grace connected to obedience and good works, and, and so that we can see that together. Ephesians chapter 2, Ephesians 2, verses 8 through 10, verse 8, for by grace are you saved, how? 
through faith. I mean, it's a pop, everybody knows that verse, right? Well, there it is again. Grace, salvation, faith, but faith in what? Jesus Christ. It's always going to be the answer. For by grace are you saved through faith, and that not of yourselves. It is the gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. Now, verse 10. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus unto what? Good works. Which God hath before ordained that we should walk in them. Okay, there is an expectation that this, that this grace and this faith in Jesus Christ is going to then lead you to a life of good works. And when that doesn't happen, it leads me to look at you and say, I, I, I fear for you. As you've convinced yourself that you're saved, but nothing in your life has changed. How can that be? How could it be that the, the Spirit of God moved into you and that made no difference in your life? You trusted in the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ, and that, that didn't alter your life in the slightest. Now, my expectations are very low because I, different people are in different places. Uh, different people are coming from different angles of life and so many different emotional issues. Uh, there, there's so many reasons not to set the bar. Like, I don't expect you to be a, a, a perfect Christian by tomorrow. But there should be some indication of your life moving in that direction. And why, why is it that there is nothing? And you don't want anything to do with the person who, who led you to Jesus Christ. Something's not right. right. Now, according to God, he gave you grace. And then through your faith in Jesus Christ, you got saved. And now you are his workmanship. And so there should be some semblance of good works in your life. Now, religion is going to come to you and say, you've got to do good works to be saved. But then God comes to you and says, you need to be saved so that you can do good works. The good works have nothing to do with being saved. It, it, is, a, it is an offshoot, it is a result of salvation. It's not so that you can gain salvation. The good works are produced after salvation. Your, your, your heart, your body gets stirred up. Well, I want to do something. What do you want to do? I don't know. Something. <laughs> I don't know what to do. Well, start with cleaning the toilets and then we'll, <laughs> we'll go from there and, and see if you can. I mean, just why don't you just start with coming to church? That was the thing in Uganda. I would tell them, well, I, you know, I want to go out and preach the gospel with you. Well, could you just, I don't know, be here two Sundays in a row <laughs> or a Sunday and a Wednesday? Like, could you? Could you, like, demonstrate that you have some interest in what's happening here at the church? Then maybe we can talk about the, the extracurricular church activities. But in, until then, I mean, just, just, I don't know, come to church. <laughs> let, let your mind be saturated in the Word of God. And, and they, they, it seems they can never get past that. Look at Romans 15. And, and I, I struggle with this idea because, like I said, my... On purpose, I set the bar really low. Um, I, I, don't, I don't think you should demand much of, of a baby Christian, but there should be some change. And when there's not, it's, it's very concerning. Romans 15, we'll read verses 15 through 19. Nevertheless, brethren, I have written the more boldly unto you in some sort as putting you in mind because of the grace that is given to me of God that I should be the minister of Jesus Christ to the Gentiles 
ministering the gospel of God, that the offering up of the Gentiles might be acceptable, being sanctified by the Holy Ghost. I have therefore whereof I may glory through Jesus Christ in those things which pertain to God. Verse 18, for I will not dare to speak of any of those things which Christ hath not wrought by me to make the Gentiles obedient by the word, or by word and deed through mighty signs and wonders by the power of the Spirit of God, so that from Jerusalem and round about unto Illyricum, I have fully preached the gospel of Christ. All right, so Paul said, God gave me the gospel of Christ, the gospel of God concerning his son, that, that person who was born, who was made of the seed of David and declared to be the son of God through the resurrection by the spirit of holiness and the resurrection from the dead. He said that God gave me that gospel and said, I want you to go to the Gentiles, preach that gospel to the Gentiles, and then that will make the Gentiles obedient. That means that after they received that gospel, something changed. They went from being pagan, uh, sometimes devils, reprobate to, what does God want me to do? I trusted in Jesus Christ. What, what do I do now? How, how, do I, how do I live the way he wants me to live? What, where does he want me to go? What does he want me to say? And so, so many people are making professions of faith, and, and one of two things are happening. They either show up to a church hungry to learn, and that church has nothing to teach them. But they know they're supposed to be in church, so they sit there in that church, learn nothing, grow in no way, and remain spiritual babies their entire lives. That is characteristic of probably the majority of churches around America right now. Or they made a profession of faith in Jesus Christ, and the next day they go right back to the bar, and that was just a fun thing I did with a preacher the other night. It was a great experience. Well, that, that wasn't the point of the, of the situation. He was trying to help you have your sins forgiven. You're trying to have a religious experience where we were not on the same page. And so either you got saved or you didn't. Right now, it's looking to me like probably not. All right, now, I, I can't tell. You can't tell. Uh, that person knows if they trusted in Jesus Christ or not. But the problem now is they have to convince themselves of whether they did or did not. And, and that many times they end up becoming twofold the child of, of the devil because somebody convinced them that they just got saved when they never did anything of the sort. And so it makes it even harder to, for God to break that down. Look at 2 Corinthians 7. Just a few more spots and then we'll wrap up. 2 Corinthians 7, verses 12 through 16. Verse 12. Wherefore, though I wrote unto you, I did it not for his cause that had done the wrong, nor for his cause that suffered wrong, but that our care for you in the sight of God might appear unto you. Therefore, we were comforted in your comfort. Yea, and exceedingly the more joyed we for the joy of Titus, because his spirit was refreshed by you all. Now, with that, what he's alluding to is when he wrote that, that first letter, he had to rip some people's faces off who were doing some disgusting things in the church. And his hope was that they would repent. So he sent Titus up there. Titus is an unbelievably trustworthy young man in the word of God. He said, Titus, I want you to go up there and I want you to see, you know, what did they do? How did, how did they handle this? And he says they, they were refreshed. They were comforted in knowing that they had repented. 
and that they did right. Titus was excited, which is an amazing thing to see. When, when somebody takes the rebuke and says, I, I'm going to fix this right now and gets it right. It's, a, it's, it's, not a, it's not something you hold over somebody's head. It's exciting. Praise God, they're doing something they shouldn't be doing, but they took the rebuke and they're going to repent and make it right. That's a wonderful thing. It's comforting. It's, it's, uh, it's, it's encouraging when somebody does that. What's discouraging is you rebuke somebody, you, you show them clear evidence of what they're doing, they say, I don't care. Who do you think you are? Well, <laughs> well now we got a problem. Right? If you're fornicating, you got to be removed. you got to go. Uh, if it's certain other things, you have to go. You can't stay. Uh, if you're not going to repent and make it right, you got to get out. You can't stay. And, and, and so it becomes very difficult when people will not repent. But Titus found that they had repented, and because his spirit was refreshed by you all, for if I have boasted anything to, to him of you, I am not ashamed. But as we speak all things to you in truth, even so our boasting, which I made before Titus, is found a truth. He said, I was bragging about you. I was a little concerned, but now I'm, I'm he said, you're doing great. I'm, I am thankful that you're doing so good. Now I know that my boasting was not in vain. I can trust you. Verse 15, and in his inward affection is more abundant toward you, whilst he remembereth the obedience of you all, how with fear and trembling you received him. I rejoice, therefore, that I have confidence in you in all things. That's an example of grace. Uh, Church, you're doing something wrong that you need to fix. Here's your letter. Here's your rebuke. Fix it. Then later you send somebody to check on the church and see what's going on, and they did it. I mean, that, that's, that's wonderful. That's not a bad thing. If it was, then the church of Corinth would not exist in our Bible. That, that was a, a rough, that was a dirty church. But they received rebuke and made it right. And now here Paul is boasting about them. The very church he had to rip apart in, in 1 Corinthians. Now he's writing a letter saying, I've been bragging about you, and we, we just found out my boasting was not in vain. Praise the Lord. That's a good thing. All right, last, last, uh, yeah, last stop. Titus 2. Titus chapter 2, and we'll read verses 11 through 15. Verse 11, For the grace of God that bringeth salvation hath appeared to all men, teaching us, isn't that interesting? The grace of God that brings salvation, it, 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 it appeared. And in that appearing, in that manifestation, it began to teach us something. Okay, so if, if you did get saved, it should have taught you something. It should have changed you in some way. And if it didn't, I, I, I'll pray for you, but I don't know what to do for you. Uh, verse, verse 12, teaching us that denying ungodliness and worldly lusts we should live soberly, righteously, and godly in this, present, in this present world, looking for that blessed hope and the glorious appearing of the great God and our Savior, Jesus Christ. Verse 14, who gave himself for us that he might redeem us from all iniquity and purify unto himself a peculiar people, zealous of what? If you're not zealous of good works and claim to belong to Jesus Christ, there's a mismatch there. We need to figure out what the problem is. How is it you can claim to belong to Christ through salvation, through faith in Jesus Christ, 
But then nothing else in your life follows that. Something's wrong. Either you never truly got saved or you're a rebellious child of your father in heaven and you need to repent and get it right. And, and so, so the, the, those good works should follow. Verse 15, these things speak and exhort and rebuke with all authority. Let no man despise thee. If I can figure out how to let no man despise me, <laughs> that'd be good. If you've got it figured out, let me know. Uh, but people are not going to like when you rebuke them. And, and you tell them that they need to repent of something. Now, it's my goal, if that ever happens, to sit down with somebody and to try and talk it out and reason it out and demonstrate to them from the Word of God the problem in the hopes that the Word of God will encourage them to fix whatever, whatever it is. But if not, then it's going to be a completely different strategy. I'm going to escort you to the door. And that'll be the end of it. All right? You're welcome to come back when you're ready to repent. If you're not ready to repent, there's no need for you to come back here. There's a bunch of churches all around town that'll take a bunch of devils. Go to them, right? This, this is, there's one downtown that that'll, they'll let you be anything you want. You can be transgender, homosexual. You, you can, I mean, whatever you want to be, that they're, they're all for it, right? Go, go there. But if you want to live godly, if you want to be zealous of good works, this is where you should be. And so if there is, an, if, if there is in your life ungodliness that needs to be repented of, then I'm going to need you to do that and get it right. And then let's move on together. We will be comforted by your repentance. We will not be distraught by finding out that there's sin in your life. Everybody has problems that need to be worked out, but everybody should be working out the problems. Nobody should be getting comfortable there and staying there and, and, and living at the lowest level uh, available to us in the Christian life. We should be living victorious Christian lives. Now, that, that verse in Romans 1, it ends with among all nations for his name. And we hit on this in Sunday school. Um, it, the nations need to see something different. If, they, if there's nothing different for them to see, what is it they're going to come to? They have nowhere to go. If everybody lives the same way, if everybody lives ungodly, if everybody lives, if everybody follows the course of the world, well, then what's the world going to look to to say, if I want to break out of this course, where do I go? Oh, there are some people who are zealous of good works that are saved by Jesus Christ. They're peculiar. They're different. Let me go see what this difference is. But if there is no difference for the nations to see, what are they going to come to? And, and that's what modern contemporary churches do. They say, Let, let's imitate the world. Let's bring in dancing girls and light shows and, and, and we'll paint the walls black and wear skinny jeans. You will never catch me in a pair of skinny jeans. Yeah. And they say, what we can do is we'll act like a nightclub, encourage people to come in and then spring a little Jesus on them when they get in here. They'll never see it coming. That's not what God encouraged us to do. He said, I want you to be peculiar. I want you to be different. And the way you do that is you live in accord with my word. And then when people see the way you live, they're going to wonder, what is this? That's the same thing he told Israel to do, and they refused to do it. They had to do all these odd things and dress this way and wear their hair certain ways and do all this stuff so that the nations would be like, what is that? <laughs> and then go find out. Well, if 
when they started worshiping Baal and marrying Gentile women and acting just like everybody else around them, where, where, where's the difference? There is none. All right, now, I'm, I'm not telling you to go be weird and go be so extreme that you're like John the Baptist walking around in, you know, camel skin and eating weird foods. That's not the idea. But people should look at you the way you work, the way you live, the way your, your relationships are. But I, my, my last job, these guys come in and, and they talk all the time about how terrible their marriages are. And I'm like, not mine. <laughs> I like my wife. <laughs> uh, I enjoy my family. Are they, what, what's going on in your house? Well, my wife's mad that I play video games. I mean, you are 40. I mean, it might be past time to get over some of that. I mean, just, just a suggestion. Well, you agree with her. I, I mean, I agree with reality that you shouldn't be acting like a five-year-old when you go home at night. Go home and be a man and, and govern your home and, and, and lead your home. If you can't do that, what do you expect your wife to do? She's got to pick up after all the kids, including you. <laughs> all right, and so um, we want to live godly in Christ Jesus. We want the nations to see. We want Loosedale to see something different from us. All right, they should look at this church and say, man, there's something going on there. We need to know what it is. And then when they come in, they'll find out from, from the moment they walk in the door, it's Jesus Christ and the word of God. We're not going to trick them into coming with a pizza party. And then, and then you know, when they clean their plate, it says Jesus on the bottom of the plate or something. <laughs> All right, that's, we're not doing that. We're going to be upfront with you. If you want to come here, it's the Word of God. If you want to come here, it's Jesus Christ. That, that's, what, that's all we have to offer you. We hope you enjoyed this podcast. You can learn more about our ministry by visiting www.plenteousredemption.com. You can hear more Plenteous Redemption podcast audio at www.plenteousredemption.media. Please comment below if this podcast has been a help to you. Also, inform us of future topics that would interest you. Thank you again for listening to the Plenteous Redemption podcast.